Lord Jesus, thank you for this chance to come tonight to worship you, to participate in all that you're doing, to hear about what's happening in the life of our church. And I pray now that as I read your word, God, you'd shape us. Thank you for the power of it. And then I pray that you'd speak through me, God. Jesus, I pray that you'd make us more like Jesus Christ. Amen. Right, going through a series in 1 Thessalonians, we've come to 1 Thessalonians 4. So I'm going to read for us. Read with me, but not all out loud, because that wouldn't be helpful. As for other matters, brothers and sisters, we instructed you how to live in order to please God, as in fact you are living. Now we ask you and urge you in the Lord Jesus to do this more and more, for you know what instructions we gave you by the authority of the Lord Jesus. It is God's will that you should be sanctified, that you should avoid sexual immorality, that each of you should learn to control your own body in a way that is holy and honourable not in passionate lust like the pagans who do not know God, and that in this matter no one should wrong or take advantage of a brother or sister. The Lord will punish all those who commit such sins, as we told you and warned you before. For God did not call us to be impure, but to live a holy life. Therefore, anyone who rejects this instruction does not reject a human being, but God, the very God who gives you his Holy Spirit. Now about your love for one another, We do not need to write to you, for you yourselves have been taught by God to love each other. And in fact, you do love all of God's family throughout Macedonia. Yet we urge you, brothers and sisters, to do so more and more. And make it your ambition to lead a quiet life. You should mind your own business and work with your hands, just as we told you, so that your daily life may win the respect of outsiders, and so that you will not be dependent on anybody. So this summer, on June the 29th, there's been lots of chat about vicars so far, I'll be getting ordained, and I'll be becoming the Reverend Tim Jones, which is an excellent sentence and fun to say. And I get to walk down the middle of a church in an old-fashioned dress with a white thing over over the top of it, and I get to say the vows at the front of the church. And when I say it like that, it sounds worryingly like marriage, but it is in fact like like I'm marrying the church somehow. But actually, it's a service where I'll be um, authorised as a minister in the Church of England. I wonder what you are aiming towards. I wonder what you would put on your social media profile. You know those things we like to put that define who we are? Recently, I was added by someone who's fairly senior in the Church of England on Instagram. And I was like, oh goodness, what does my profile say about me? Does it say that I work at Holy Trinity Clapham? What's it say? So I briefly changed it, you know, then deleted a few photos. Uh, (laughs) What would go on yours? What would you put? What do you put? What, do you, what are the things? You know, we love to say maybe who we're married to. We love to say our job. Can I encourage you? I think we put more in stock by that than other people do. Feel free to throw in a curveball. curveball. You know, I'm a teacher. I'm a friend. I'm a daughter. And I'm an award-winning pastry chef. You know, I'm a husband. I love to play football. And I'm 16th in line for the throne of Guatemala. See what happens. You know, I'm a consultant. And, you know, I'm a Clapham resident. And I like to make my own cheese. Sometimes on purpose. See what happens. We love to set our store in these things. We say who we are. We define who we are. And God says something else. He says this. Read with me. Verse 3. It is God's will that you should be sanctified. Now, would you put that on your social media profile? Washed by the blood of the Lamb. You know, What would it be? And this passage today, as we get to this point in this book of the Bible, it asks us a very fundamental question. And it asks us, who are you becoming? Who are you becoming? 
Because it's God's will for our lives that we grow in holiness, that we grow in being set apart, that we grow to become more like Jesus Christ. And so who are you becoming? Are you becoming more and more like Jesus? Are you growing in holiness? Now, Jamie spoke about this last week, and he thought about it in the context of friendships, friendships who can spur us on to be like God. He thought about putting into practice what we have already become in position, you know, how we grow in our identity in Christ, who we are leading to how we are. And in some ways, what I'm talking about this week is, of course, a continuation of that. You see, when Paul, Silas, and Timothy, the three guys who wrote this letter, when they get to this point, they change tack. And they've basically spent this whole point up until here, to chapter 4, speaking in the past tense. So they get to chapter 1, and they're basically reminding them, they're saying, you know, do you remember that you became imitators of us? And we gave thanks to God for that. You became a model for all the followers of Christ in your area. Chapter 2, Paul reminds them, do you remember how we toiled among you? Do you remember how we loved you? Chapter 3, do you remember we left, but Timothy came, and then he gives thanks. And he prays that the church would love each other more and more, and that God would strengthen them, that they might be holy and blameless. And the beginning of our chapter, do you see, it's another reminder. He says, as for other matters, we instructed you how to live. So he says, do you remember, we instructed you, as in fact you're living. But then he he changes, and he says, now, so we see we've shifted, now we ask you to do this more and more. And I've said that this passage asks us this big question, who are you becoming? Because it's all about how to live in order to please God. Can you see that? Verse 1. We instructed you how to live in order to please God. And Paul wants to get really practical. And I'm just going to use Paul as a shorthand for Paul, Silas, and Timothy. So that I don't have to do PST or something when I describe who's writing the letter. So Paul wants to get really, really practical. And he wants to speak about sexual purity. He wants to speak about loving one another. And he wants to speak about work. And I just think these three areas show how relevant God's word is to us because there's such important things in our lives. You know, they were important to this church in Thessalonica 2,000 years ago, and they are so important to us now. And we're going to ask some questions together. So under this question of who are we becoming, we're going to ask, are we growing in sexual purity? We're going to ask, are we growing in our love for all God's family? And we're going to ask, are we growing in God's ambition for our work? so that we might live in order to please God. So let's do that first one together. Let's ask that question. Are we growing in sexual purity? Because Paul writes this in verse 7. Read with me. For God did not call us to be impure, but to live a holy life. And I'm going to suggest that this passage shows us three things about living. How do we live a pure life? What does that mean? He shows us that we need to grow in clarity, that we need to grow in self-control, and we need to grow in honor. And I'm being really, I'm trying to be as clear as I can with the slides that are coming behind because this passage is really clear. Paul isn't mincing his words. It's like a how to. He wants them to know. So, growing in clarity, self control, and honor. And why do I say clarity? Well, it's because actually we need to recognize what we're growing in and what we're avoiding. Paul says in verse 3 it's God's will that you be sanctified that you should avoid sexual immorality. 
And the word for sexual, sexual immorality, the Greek word is porneia. You can hear what word we get from that. Porneia, what does that mean? Let's try and give that a simple definition as possible. What is the biblical definition of sexual immorality? Well, it's any sexual intimacy outside of marriage. Any sexual intimacy outside of marriage. Touching each other or sleeping together in a way that God designed only for a man and a woman who are married to each other. So it's any sexual intimacy outside of marriage. And this applies to married people and it applies to single people. It applies to all of us. All people who follow Jesus. Doing anything sexual with someone that you're not married to. And we see that in the big scope of Scripture if you want a full understanding of this, we've spoken about this before in depth. Last November, Jacob gave two sermons specifically on this topic. Can I encourage you to listen to them, either again or for the first time? But from this passage, we get a sense of what this word means from two things. What's it, you know, what does it mean to, be, to avoid sexual morality? What is that? Well, we see in verse 4 that we are to be controlled. And in verse 5, we are not to act in passionate lust. And so as we think about how we apply this, what does this mean? What does it mean to avoid it? It means we are to avoid behavior that pursues and sustains sexual arousal. And I'm sorry to get as specific as I can, but I think it's helpful. Jamie asked a question last week as he was speaking, and I'm basically picking back up on it. Jamie asked, uh, basically, how far is too far? He brought that question to mind. He said, some of us are asking that question. How far, is too, how far can you go and his response was right. Because he said, does, actually, does that sound like the kind of question someone who is passionate and following Jesus is asking? But look, if you forced me and you were like, Tim, get really technical. What do you mean? What does that mean? I'd say it's avoiding behavior that pursues and sustains sexual arousal. And it's good to be clear about that. Because actually we need clarity. And we're to avoid it. The Greek word for there is apeko. And it means to hold back, to keep off, to be away, to be distant. So avoiding sexual morality in this case is not skirting up to it as close as you can possibly get, but actually it's having kept your distance the whole time. So it's being distant. It's not how far can I get. Actually, it is being distant. And let's not play games here with the word of God. We shouldn't dismiss this or lessen it or contextualize it. Well, we should, but we shouldn't try and say that, hey, actually, this doesn't apply to us because dot, dot, dot. Maybe because we're a different context here. You know, this is so different. Let me show you why that is wrong, why this still applies to us. It's because it's still God's will that we be sanctified. It's still God's will that we be sanctified. God has this amazing plan and intention for your life that you become more like Jesus Christ, that you grow in godliness, that you grow in holiness, that your character grows, that your actions change. And that hasn't stopped being God's good idea and God's good intention for you. And one of the ways God calls us all to live that out is to avoid sexual immorality. But why am I saying clarity? Why do I emphasize? Why do we need clarity? It's actually because I think Scripture's really clear from beginning to end. We see it in Genesis. We see it throughout the law. We see it through what Jesus says. We see it again and again and again in the epistles and as Paul writing in the New Testament. But actually what we need is to make, ask God to make that so clear to us. It might be clear in his word, but we need to say to God, transform me by the renewing of my mind. God, help me see clearly what you mean, 
What is your heart behind this command? What is your heart behind this? What is your intention? Because otherwise what happens is, and if you excuse the phrase, we end up as being 50 shades of grey. You know, it's all a bit grey, we're not sure. And actually, we can trust the word of God, which is so clear to us. And so we need to ask God and say, God, change the way I think. Help me see your position on this. Help me understand and apply your will to my life. Because let's be honest, Christians can have a funny relationship with sex. I grew up going to church, and so that meant I was part of a youth group. And when I was about 13, we had three weeks on sex. And it was all very exciting. And you had to get a form signed by your parents to say that you're allowed to be there. And they split up the boys and the girls. And the youth leader sat down. And, you know, he basically went in full guns blazing. And he said, right, we're going to talk about sex We're going to talk about masturbation. We're going to talk about threesomes. We're going to talk about sexual positions. And then he's like, we're going to talk about sex. And sex is noisy and sex is sticky and it's messy. And we're all going, oh my goodness, make it stop. Oh, make the bad man go away. He's like 35, I'm 13. 35 is basically, you know, senior citizen at this point. So you're talking about your sex life. And it's like hearing an old person talking about their sex life. So Roger, please stop. Please stop. But we have to be careful of two reactions that we can have to sex as Christians. Because the first thing we can do is to totally deify it. So we elevate it and we put it on a pedestal. And this is basically what our culture does and says, here's how you achieve joy and here's how you achieve self-fulfillment. Here is your ultimate goal. This is what you are aiming for. Basically making it an idol. So we deify it or we degrade it. And somehow actually get disgust comes in and we think it's wrong, that it's dirty, that it's debased. That's not what the Bible shows us. This passage says we're to control our bodies in a way that is holy and honorable. And those two words show us something. If our sex is to be honorable, then it means sex is taken out of the number one spot. Because it's God we're honoring. So God comes first and everything we do in our life is to work towards that, is to honor him. But then actually, because it's to be holy. So on one hand, the Bible totally demystifies sex. It totally demystifies it because it basically says, look, this is between man and woman. It's not to be the center of your life. It's something God created and it's good, but it isn't everything. But then it remystifies it because it says, actually, this is between a man and a woman. And this picture of intimacy and oneness is like what it is between the church and God. And the thing, the heady thing we're headed towards is when we'll come to God before heaven and in an instant, in the twinkling of an eye, we shall be like him and we shall meet him and we shall be one with our creator forever. Wow, and that's what sex is actually just a small glimpse of. So on one hand, it totally demystifies it and then the other hand, it actually re-mystifies it. But Paul says here, you're to act in such a way that it's holy and therefore that means sex can be holy It can be holy, it can be good. Can I just check? I mean, generally we think sex is good, right? Generally, you know, we don't need to be convinced. Yeah, we'll think, yeah, it's pretty good. But do we think God thinks it's good? Do we think God thinks it's good? Actually, this shows us that sex can be holy and honourable. And as we think about who we are becoming, we see that sex is one of the ways that we become holy, that we grow in holiness as we do it in the context of marriage. And so what we need from God is to, our minds to be renewed. 
And we need clarity. We need his perspective. We need to see it not as this great idol, and we need to see not as dirty, but in the way that God sees it. We need clarity. But secondly, we need self-control. This passage is talking about self-control. Verse 3, read with me. It's God's will that you should be sanctified, that you should avoid sexual immorality, that each of you should learn to control your own body in a way that is holy and honorable, not in passionate lust like the pagans. So who are you becoming? What is the trajectory of your life? Is it growing in self-control? Self-control is actually a fruit of the Spirit. So are we learning to control our bodies and are we learning to control our minds as God is in work, at work in us? Now there's an interesting word here. Because he says each of you should learn to control your own body. And I think the word learn is so important because it indicates that self-control is something you develop. Something you grow in rather than something you achieve overnight. Now, this is significant because when we think of sexual purity and when I think of that word, generally we think of it in fairly binary terms. We think either you have it or you don't. Maybe it's something you want had. Maybe it's something you once had, but now you've lost it. In fact, the danger is we kind of equate it with the concept of virginity. Well, that's something maybe I once had and now I don't, or maybe I do, but I'm not sure about it. And as soon as we start thinking like that, we give permission for shame to speak. Because you think, well, there's something I've lost because I don't have that. But actually, through this process of what's called sanctification, we can become pure. God makes us. He causes his purity at work in us, and we grow in it. And we need to learn how to develop self-control. We need to learn it. We need to pursue it. Just like many other things in our life. Recently, I've taken up running. I say, I say recently, sort of on and off, last three weeks, I certainly haven't been running, so I can only say that I've tried a little bit. But the thing that's kept me going is doing the Clapham Park Run, Clapham Common Park Run. And the thing that's really kept me going is trying to beat Jago. You know, if I really want to, you know, and a couple of times I have, and I've beaten him, and then he's beaten me, which I'm a bit ashamed to say, but, you know, maybe some of you will say to him, look, you need to set your sights higher than trying to beat a 40-year-old father with kids. Um, Jago, I'm sorry, that's a, that's a low blow. But it's something I need to learn to do. It's going to take hard work and it's going to take effort if I'm going to get better at running or whatever it is, whatever physical activity. And actually, it's something, it's somehow it's the same with self-control. It's something you practice. It's something you put, you put effort into. It's something that you learn rather than something that you either have or you don't and therefore give up because you don't think you have it. Paul says in verse 4 that we need to learn to control our own bodies. So he says we must take responsibility for what we do and be in control. And this is with other people, but also it's with ourselves. And this means we need self-control, especially in what we think about and what we look at and what we do. The temptations towards masturbation and pornography are so strong. We live in such a crazy society. The truth is now we have mobile phones in our pockets that can give us instant access to the most hardcore images of all time. Crazy. We must talk about this as we, you know, we talk about sexual purity. We must talk about this. This is such an important issue. Paul says you must learn to control your own body. You must learn to do it. 
Can I encourage you, if that, that's a topic, if that's an area, if that's something you're struggling with, bring it into the light. Can I encourage you to do that because I found that to be really helpful for myself. I can't talk about that, this topic, without showing actually how it's something I have struggled with. Things you think about, things you look at. Because Paul says we're to learn to control what we do. We all have urges, we all have desires. But are we bringing them in line with God's will and God's way? And, you know, it's, it's so good to get really practical about this. Um, and also, it's also get really, to get really serious about this. Really serious. Take it seriously. When I was a student, I was in my third year at university, and we listened to a long talk in the CU about the biblical view of sex. And as part of the talk, um, the speaker talked about masturbation. And afterwards, there was a short time of Q&A. And this one bright spark popped up his hand and said, look, I know you've spoken about masturbation and how we shouldn't do it, but what about that verse in Ecclesiastes that says, whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might. (laughs) And the guy just went, ah, ah. (laughs) He says, are we not listening to anything I've said? And it's good to joke about this, and it's good to be frank, but it's good to be serious. It's good to take this as seriously as possible. Learn to control your own body. So who is in your life that can ask you the difficult questions about what you're doing and what you're thinking and what you're looking at? Do you have software on every device that you own that means that, frankly, it blocks anything that's over 18 and then reports to someone else what you do? I found that that software is really helpful. I set it up with someone that I'd be terrified, you know, if they knew what I had done. I was like flipping out, well, I can't, you know, it really helped. Put barriers in place. Do everything you can so that you're avoiding it, so that actually you're not getting close to this as possible, but actually so that you are avoiding it. Are you accountable to someone? This could be to friends. This could be actually, yeah, to someone who terrifies you. And can I say this applies to all of us in every stage and every age. This isn't just for single people. This isn't just for married people. There's different challenges we all face. My prayer is that some of you, in fact, and many of us, if not all of us, be able to say, Tim, actually, yeah, that isn't something I'm struggling with at the moment. But if it is, what are you doing about it? And are you keeping short accounts with the Lord? Are you keeping short accounts as you come before God? Yes, say, Lord, I messed up again, but help me. Because actually what we really need, we need to get practical, we need to take it seriously, but really we need to come before God on this and say, deal with my heart. Deal with my heart, God. Root out to me anything that is impure. Pray that prayer from Psalm 51. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Some of you at the moment, I think, need to pray this prayer every day. Create in me, God, a pure heart. Renew a steadfast spirit within me. Take every practical step you can to avoid this. Take every practical step you can to flee from it, in the words of 1 Corinthians. But come before the Lord and say, God, renew me and restore me. Change the way I think. Change my attitudes. Change me to be like Jesus Christ so that I am becoming like him. Do you know Facebook did some research and they got into trouble about it it was about 2014 and they got into trouble because with about half a million people they decided to start changing things in people's 
um, or sorry, they decided to start tracking what people were putting in their statuses. So they'd look at what was in the content of someone's status, and then they would see its effect on everyone else. And they found that just with the presence of a few emojis and a few different words, the mood of someone's status could affect loads of other people. And then they got into trouble because they basically started posting different things at the top of people's feeds. And the experiment was to see with what happens when we change what people receive. And they found it was incredibly powerful. They found it was incredibly powerful because they changed what people read and then suddenly you'd see the status that someone would post and it would reflect the mood of what had been put in the post before. And if that is the power of a Facebook status to affect someone's mood to affect what they looked at. Imagine the power of porn. Imagine the power of sexual fantasy. Actually, what we need to do is we need to get the word of God and fill our minds with that. Psalm 119 says, God, I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. We need to take this seriously and say, but God, root it out in me. Make me more like Jesus Christ. We need to become people of holiness who grow in self-control. And we need clarity on this. We need self-control. And also, quickly, we need honor. As you think about what it is to grow in sexual purity, we need honor. Verse 6 says this, that in this matter, no one should wrong or take advantage of a brother or sister. So he's thinking about what you are doing with your body, how you are controlling yourself. And then he says, this has really practical implications for your brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ. See, God does something amazing. When we become a Christian, he doesn't just change us. He changes how we relate to other people who are Christians. So I can say confidently that you are my brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ, even if we've never met. I was once in South Africa when I was traveling. And we hadn't been in South Africa very long. And we heard a choir singing. And they were singing in a different language. And I remember as I was listening to them, I started crying, and I had to go outside, and I didn't know what was going on. I didn't understand these words. I didn't, you know, the tune was okay. It wasn't so beautiful that I was moved by that. And what I found out was that actually they were Christians, and they were singing worship songs. And the reason I was crying, I think, is because actually I was listening to my brothers and sisters worshiping the Lord. And actually that's something that's always moved me by the Spirit of God. The amazing truth was, as I was listening to those people sing, they were my brothers and my sisters. I'd never met them before in my life. We spoke a totally different language. And yet I was listening to them praising the Lord. This area of sexual purity has such implications for how we relate to other people because we're relating to people who we are family of. And when you start thinking about it like that, that that person that you're dating, that person that you're married to, actually they're not just yours, actually they're God's, they belong to God's, and that you're family it might start changing how you act. And in this, Paul says we need honor. No one should wrong or take advantage of a brother or sister. So we need clarity, we need self-control, and we need honor. So who are we becoming? That was the first section. Now, okay, I could acknowledge we could stop this sermon right now. I've basically had three points. You know, maybe we could all stand up, let's do some prayer ministry. But it's quite important here that I keep going. Let me tell you why. It's important because that's what Paul does in his letter. You know, we have spent special, deliberate time. As I said, Jago spoke back in November on this issue of sex and sexuality, which when I say it like that, sounds like some kind of strange Jane Austen novel. 
Pride and Prejudice, you know, that sort of thing. Jacob has spoken about this, but it's also important that we just talk about regular what it is to follow Jesus. We don't, that we don't, every time we talk about it, have to do, here's everything and try and say everything and try and give a total theology every time we talk about this. When Paul is writing to these people, it's like a reminder. He said, we've already told you this, now we want to remind you. And so it's important that I keep going here because sexuality is just one of the ways we grow in purity. And it's just one of the ways we grow in holiness. What else does he talk about? He talks about growing in love for all God's family. Who are we becoming? Are we becoming people who grow in our love for all God's family? Verse 9. Now about your love for one another, we do not need to write to you. For you yourselves have been taught by God to love each other. And in fact, you do love all of God's family throughout Macedonia. Yet we urge you, brothers and sisters, to do so more and more. Now this is amazing. Paul says actually God has taught you. He says we actually don't need to remind you on this. And the question, the simple question that I think comes up for us, as you think about what it is to love one another, is would Paul say the same thing of us? If Paul was writing, you know, an apostle to the church in Clapham, to Jago and the faithful saints, you know, what would he say? Would he say of us, I actually don't need to tell you anything about your love for one another because God's taught you. One of, one part of what it is to grow in holiness is to actually to grow to love the ones that God loves. And this has, let's just get really practical. This means when you come to church, do you like to keep your distance? Do you like to come in maybe after the worship's begun? Do you like to leave maybe before the service is even over? Do you like to have your time with the Lord? Sometimes actually that's going to be really practical, but is that the, your default position? Do you want the benefits of church without the commitment? Or secondly, when you come to church, are you just here to talk to your friends? Are you just here to do what is comfortable and with the people that are easy? Thirdly, maybe you make some effort with people, but do you just tolerate it? Do you endure it? Do you suffer through it? You see, our standard is not that we are self-sufficient or segregated or suffering the, uh, being with others. It's to give ourselves totally in love and to live out the love that God has shown us in Jesus Christ. Who are we becoming? Are we those growing in sexual purity? And are we becoming those who love one another, who grow in our love for one another? But then Paul continues. He adds something else. Are we growing in our godly ambition for our work? Verse 11, read with me. Make it your ambition to lead a quiet life. You should mind your own business and work with your hands, just as we told you, so that your daily life may win the respect of outsiders and so that you will not be dependent on anybody. I think it's so helpful here. He says your daily life. Your daily life is part of your holiness. Because the great danger of talking about sex and talking about relationships with other Christians is we think, well, those are the private bits of my life. And actually, when he says it's God's will for your sanctification and for your growing like Jesus, he says it's everything. It's your daily life as well. Now, he's getting quite specific. It seems that some in the church here were lazy. They were idlers mooching off other people, and therefore bringing the name of Jesus into disrepute. And the quietness that Paul has in mind seems to be the opposite of that kind of talk when you're hanging around others who are trying to do their own work and, you know, 
sorry, when you're trying to do your own work and they don't see you doing any. Do you work with anyone like that? You know, they're talking so much, you're like, are you actually doing anything? And he says, you're not to be like that. Because he says, how you work will indicate who you worship. And he says, this will be an example to people. He says, you're to win the respect of everyone who isn't a Christian, and you're to do it through the way you work. Paul says, your daily life is to win the respect of other people. And that idea of quiet living, I just think it means, are you working your very hardest for the glory of God? As you go to work tomorrow morning, will you be doing your very best for the glory of God? Not for, any, not for your own glory, but in a quiet way, in a God-fearing way, and in a God-honoring way, are you trying to do your best for him? God even cares about your holiness at work. Not just in private bits of your life. He cares about, he cares about all of your life. And he longs that you grow to be more like Jesus in that. Who are you becoming? Who are you becoming? Are you growing in sexual purity? Are you growing in your love for God's family? Are you growing in godly ambition for your work? And I need to add another question here. Will you seek all of this? Will you seek holiness? Not because it's a good idea. Not because I've made a convincing argument. Not because you feel full of faith at the moment. Not because things are going well. Not because you feel like you've got the capacity at the moment. You've got the headspace. Will you seek this because God commands it? Will you seek this because God calls you to it? Will you walk in obedience? You see, Paul doesn't give a series of convincing arguments in this passage. Did you notice? He isn't saying, here's why you should do this. Here's why this is a good idea, although it is. He does this. Did you notice this? Verse 1, he says we are to live in order to please God. Verse 2, he says we gave you these instructions by the authority of God. Verse 3, he talks about God's will. Verse 7, he says... God didn't call us to be impure. And then verse 8, he said, anyone who rejects this instruction doesn't reject a human being, but God. And so we see that there is God's pleasure, God's authority, God's will, God's call, and God's instruction. And as Paul is saying to them, look, this isn't my bright idea. This isn't Paul telling you this. This is God telling you this. And so God is saying the same thing to us. He's saying, I long that you grow in holiness. And actually, it's something I'm pleased in. It's something that it's my authority that I'm telling you. This is my will for you. This is my call for you. This is my instruction for you. And will you do it because he asks? Will you do it because he asks? You see, God has always called his people to be set apart. God has always called his people to live in a distinct way. That's always been the case. And, you know, this is Pastor saying, here's how to live in order to please God. And will you do it because he asks you, because he commands you, because he calls you? But we have to hold this with something else. Verse 8 says this. God who gives you his Holy Spirit. God who gives you his Holy Spirit. The great danger as I talk about this is that it becomes all about our effort, and it becomes all about us. And I hope it's been clear to you there are very practical things this is calling us to do. 
I went through these 12 verses, and there are 10 commands in the, space of, in the space of 12 verses. There are things for us to do. There is a way we are to live. But if we make it all about our effort, then suddenly we're working against the very foundation of our faith. Because Paul says, God gives you his Holy Spirit. God makes sinful people holy, and he gives them his Holy Spirit. He gives them his empowering spirit. See, the point is, we don't live up to God's commands. We don't. We mess up and we stuff up. In fact, some of you may be so aware of that tonight. The great danger in talking about the things I've talked about, especially with sexual matters, is it brings up shame and it brings up guilt. But see, in Jesus Christ, God has paid the price for all our shame and all our guilt and all our sin. And we have taken on his righteousness There's been a great exchange that's taken place, as Jamie said last week, and I'll repeat again. You see, whilst we are still sinners, Christ died for us. And now, as we repent and we say, God, I want to live my life for you, he says, wow, I'm going to sanctify you, I'm going to make you clean, and I'm going to give you my Holy Spirit. You see, our starting place for this is not, here's all the things I must do to try and please God. Rather, it is, God, thank you that you delight in Jesus Christ and therefore you delight in me because of everything he has done. And now I want to live a life that honours you and puts you first. Thank you for what you've done. Now I want to give back to you. Not, God, you'll seem to be angry with me. Just here's what I can do to put the anger off. It's, Lord, thank you for your delight in me. I want to live a life that honours that. You see, religion stresses holiness over grace. Religion says, here's how you're ordered to live, and you better do it, and you better pull your socks up, and you better get it right, and if you don't, there's going to be consequences. Irreligion stresses freedom over holiness. Actually, because some of you will be hearing this, and you think, goodness me, there's all the things I've got to do. That sounds like loss. That sounds like confinement. I want to be free, and that's what irreligion says. That's what culture says. You want to be free. You've got to do exactly what you want, but true faith and following Jesus Is freedom through grace that leads to holiness. Freedom through the grace of God that leads us to holiness. Not earning it ourselves, but trusting in what God has done and then building on that and growing in it. See, amazingly, the truth is, even though we've called to be sanctified by God, in a sense, we already have been. So we are growing already in what God has done. And this is a work of grace. This is a work of grace because God is giving us what we don't deserve. My pit of Archie says that obedience is God's love language. And a lot of what I've said tonight is just about being obedient to God. Obedience is God's love language, and I love that. But guess what? Jesus Christ was the only one who was perfectly obedient. But because of what he has done, we get seen in him, we get seen in his righteousness. And therefore, we have the freedom to pursue the holiness that God calls us all to. So who are you becoming? Are you growing in sexual purity? Who are you becoming? Are you growing in your love for all God's people? Who are you becoming? Are you growing in a godly ambition for your work? Ultimately, you are growing to be more like Jesus Christ through what he has done, through the grace shown to you in Jesus Christ, through the freedom that you now have in him. God says, I love you just as you are, but I love you enough that I'm calling you to be like Jesus. 
Why don't we stand together? What I'd love us to do, I've spoken a lot of words, is I'd love us to take a moment of silence and come before God and saying, what are you saying to me? Holy Spirit, what are you saying to me here? Let's do that now. Let's be silent before God.